Hey, humanoids, if you're ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and there's no train in sight or it looks like it's moving slow and you think maybe you could get across the tracks before the train comes, think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270. Stop. Trains can't. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Gufaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Masked Man Show. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm your host. Very energized host, David Shoemaker. I'm here on the mask line is my dear old friend, one of my oldest friends in the world, which says a lot about my friendships, Stack Guy Greg, <laughs> Greg the Virgin, Gregory Hyde, Esquire. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's good to be on the phone with you. <laughs> it's good to be on the phone with you, too. Yeah. Um, listen, we got a lot to talk about today. It's a big week in professional wrestling. A lot of it's happened in the past uh, 24 hours and stuff. Uh, Melter's been been breaking news like a storm. Um, there's also some interesting stuff from uh, Sean Ross Happ over at Fightful on Leo Rush. We're going to get to all this stuff. The big thing I want to talk about, number one thing, right off the bat, and all these backstage shenanigans is one that we should have seen coming, but for some reason a lot of people have talked themselves out of it, and that is that now that Dean Ambrose is done with WWE, in fact, Mere moments after he was done with WWE officially, he released a video on Twitter um, announcing the return of John Moxley, aka Johnny Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose's pre WWE or at least pre uh, WWE main roster and NXT personality. Um, this is how what he was known as on the on the Indies. I believe he was Johnny Moxley for a bit in FCW. Um, but now he's done with WWE. He's not just taking a little break. He's not pursuing an acting career. He's not. He's not going to chillax by the Las Vegas pool. He's. Uh, he's apparently going to keep it going in the pro wrestling world. Like I said, we should have seen this coming. He drops this video. John Moxley or Mox, as he as as the end of the video calls him, busting out of jail. Um, it's an incredibly compelling little teaser trailer. What did you? What was your first reaction when you saw this thing pop up, Greg? I was sort of shocked because I convinced myself that uh, he was a WWE lifer after this. He's going to take a little break and then be back in New York in no time. But, uh, yeah, no, this was this was unexpected. It was a really well-produced video, though, I will say that. Like, a nice little piece of footage. I will say, I I've, I've did some digging into it, um, trying to figure out what this means for him and, and what's the next step in his career. And, uh, all the people that you would, you know, ask questions about this seem to be fairly tight-lipped, or at least, uh, not even tight-lipped, openly denied that there's any connection with him in AEW. Um, that's not, there, there's nothing, I have no, 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 no news to report on that front. Um, although, 
like you said before we start hit record, that's exactly what everybody would say. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the kayfabe conspiracy theorizing here. I will say that I do have it on good word that he used real barbed wire as opposed to fake barbed wire in that video because uh, <laughs> it showed, it, I'm serious, because it showed commitment to character and I deeply respect that. It was a really cool video, man. And I think that, speaking of AEW, I mean, we have to, we have to, we, last week we talked about that Dustin Rhodes video, um, the promo video for his, his appearance at Double or Nothing. Um, this week, Cody released this this incredible promo where he's just staring into the camera and he sort of talks about trying to put the attitude error to rest and all this kind of stuff. Um, Which I support, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. no, no. I, <laughs> me too. And then, you know, there, there's all this other little stuff. We, how, how compelled were we last week by, by like 30 seconds of CM Punk in a hoodie and a lucha mask wrestling at an indie show in a garage somewhere? I'll set that one aside. But l- look how good this Dean Ambrose video was. I say the only thing on WWE television that was even remotely as captivating in the past couple of weeks has been the return of Bray Wyatt. But why is it... You better why say the Firefly Funhouse. Listen, it's great. I love pro wrestling more than anybody. I mean, this is... I know there's some, some people listening to this that, that have occasionally said that anyone that does a podcast gets shit for being down on pro wrestling, you know, at some point in, in by, by, from some listeners. But listen, I love pro wrestling. Why is it that a two-minute John Moxley teaser trailer is more captivating and more compelling than anything WWE does in a week? Is it just because you turn on Raw and it's you know it's three hours long and you're immediately like worn out by it as, in, as opposed to just this like two-minute quick hit? I mean, there's no wrestling in this thing. It's just like, hey, here's a character. Why are we so freaking excited about this? Well, I think it's because it's not WWE. And so that allows the kayfabe conspiracies to start to run wild. Like you, you said, you didn't want to touch on it, but that video is do full it, of do it, go. I mean, he, he busts out of a prison, right? The Ambrose Asylum, he's out. He's not, the prison could be WWE. It could be the Ambrose Asylum, whatever you want to call it. He's out. He's free. He gets chased out of the prison by a big dog. Now, him and Roman are supposed <laughs> to be the best of friends. But the kayfabe conspiracies are running wild that, like, you know, Roman coming back and taking that spot is what eventually pushed him out of the WWE, right? Because yeah. it was going to be him and Seth for a while. And he could have been a top a top heel uh, in the company, but he just wasn't used right. And then was going to be used even less with Roman coming back. And then he walks past a wall for, with a Viper Room logo on it. And the dice just coincidentally show the two and a five. And all in is happening in Vegas on the 25th of May. It's all coming together. And it all makes sense in a weird way. And if you really think about it, none of it makes sense. But it's so good, though. It, 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 it fuels that. The really cool thing is that we don't, I mean, you know, if this had been the WC, the Monday Night Wars era, I think we'd have a pretty, a, you know, a good idea of what was going on. And I, and it's easy to sort of like revert. I mean, talking about killing the attitude era, okay, but like AEW, for I mean, and I don't mean this is a knock, is is in some small way like jump, like leaping off of this attitude era, at least the Monday Night Wars nostalgia, right? We want competition. Yeah. That's why that's why we like are so in love with the the idea of AEW. And that's not exclusively. Obviously, we love, I mean, wrestling fans love Cody Rhodes, love the Young Bucks, the Lucha Bros, Kenny Omega. I mean, this is Jericho, obviously. I mean, there's 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 a lot of reasons to be excited. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing, I mean, one cool thing about this is that, like, John Moxley may not show up there on Double or Nothing. He might just be, like, 
working some indie shows or like, you know, just do, I mean, he could do, he could do anything and just have a good time. And the, the cool, the interesting thing about, about Ambrose is that like the answer was, was there, was like hiding in plain sight the whole time. There's all these interviews. I mean, he, not all these, he doesn't give a lot of interviews, but when he does, he's like, he said the, what, what the, the best thing about pro wrestling is like telling stories, you know, it's like being able to like write a good narrative arc uh-huh. and, and he, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there that he felt like he was really disappointed with everything that happened, not just Roman coming back, but you know what I was, what I would he- kept hearing was that it was the the heel turn when Roman went out that that whole thing felt like he he didn't. I don't know if he was anti turning heel because that was actually a super compelling story. It could have been, but like just the way it was handled after that, he was obviously saddled with a lot of kind of silly stuff along the way and especially at the top of his career he's out there in the ring with mannequins and whatever else and that might have been his his jam like and it might have been other stuff that he was he was you know unhappy with but clearly Dean Ambrose is one of these guys and you can't I mean first of all he's uh, there, there's so many things so so many facets to Ambrose one when he is at the top of the card and I've said this before he's so over like him standing in the yeah. ring with a title belt there's like there's very few other people that 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 ha- that get that kind of just like holy shit here's our guy reaction from the crowd. Now he didn't always maintain that same level of heat when he was doing other stuff. In, you know when he was elsewhere on the roster, which is you know not which is partly a knock on him and but mostly probably a knock on WWE. Um, but so I mean he he's so over, but he was also like and and you can't say he didn't get the opportunities. He did get opportunities. Now whether or not you know, those are all on him or on WWE. I think that's subject of a lot of debate. A lot of people would probably put, uh, would probably, I mean, would rightly put him as the victim in a lot of those situations. Yeah. But I mean, the credit credit goes to the wrestler and the blame goes to the company. We know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but, but listen, for, for all of those, you know, what missed opportunities, whatever you want to call them, you can't say he didn't get his his chance to his, his, you know, his, his opportunities, but for that, but even having said that, there was always this feeling with Ambrose every time he, when he came back from the injury, every time he would do a turn, every time he would get a new run at the top or gets gets flip flip flop to SmackDown or Raw. He was one of these guys that's like, there's so much untapped potential here. You know, it seemed like there was always more than what than what we were than he was being given the opportunity to to exude to I mean to to embody even as he was at the top of the card or near it a lot of the time. I mean, is, do you think that do you think that in a perfect world? I mean, what what would have been his ceiling in WWE in a perfect world? Let me ask it that way. Could have been Mick Foley during that feud with Triple H. Like, when he brought back Cactus Jack, that could have been Dean Ambrose. And I feel like mm-hmm. they never they never fully went there with him. Like, they always told us that he was crazy, but they never showed us, like, violent crazy. They always showed us silly crazy. And I think with his last heel turn and that run, that was what got people so excited. And I'll speak for myself. That's what, what got me so excited was that um, it felt like he finally snapped and that we would finally get crazy Ambrose and then we got uh, Silly Dean again. And uh, I think it broke him too because shortly after that, he was just like, I'm out. April's up and I'm out. Yeah. I mean, that heel turn, just it was so perfect. And if they had done it the way, I mean, I think I talked about it at the time. A lot of people had talked about it, but if the gimmick is that he's like so sad about Roman being out, but like doesn't know what to do with those emotions, and so he turns heel and he like you know he goes dark 
Like, that's a really compelling character, right? But it just sort of turned into just a regular wrestling feud. And then the, I think the icing on the cake or whatever the negative, you know, the Funhouse Mirror version of icing on the cake was when he and Seth finally had their their blow-off match. And it was like, instead of being a blood, you know, a, a blood feud, instead of being a grudge match, it was like a technical showdown. And it just, it was all very, the whole thing was just, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like they forgot the booking every time they popped up on screen, which is... Not where you want to go. But anyway, where we do want to go is the future of John Moxley. I'm super excited to see what happens. I mean, there's for all of the ways that, you know, for for anything like negative I've said about him uh, over the years, and, and honestly, I've, I'm sure I've been much more positive <laughs> than negative because I love him. I mean, my any negativity has all been based in just like love. When he first, the, the moment I saw him on TV the first time, actually on my laptop for the first time, I was like, this guy is a superstar. This guy is everything. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, maybe now, I mean, maybe, maybe he was an attitude era guy. Maybe he's the, maybe he's one of, maybe he, he is, may, maybe we'll find out that he is like, like Cody, like he's the sort of guy that is the, the, the best case. I mean, the best example of guys that should be given all the leash, you know, just like let them go do their own thing and see what happens. And he wasn't getting that that amount of freedom in WWE. Maybe we'll find out because, listen, you can't learn, you don't know everything about somebody from a two-minute teaser trailer. But from that silly, I mean, as silly as it is, from that really cool two-minute teaser trailer, I feel like I am more into John Moxley than I have been into Dean Ambrose with a couple of exceptions over the past five years. Like two minutes, two minutes on Twitter was better than five years of WWE storytelling. I think everybody on Twitter agrees with you. And the, the funny thing about it is, too, though, WWE made him make that Twitter and he had never sent a tweet. <laughs> the first, <laughs> his first tweet is after the contract itself. He's about to do something else. He finally uh, gives his followers something to react to. So I think that's hilarious. Now, listen, for all the conspiracy theorizing that's going to go on out there, I mean, listen, WWE, my guess is they had a, you know, they they know what's going on. I mean, he's still obviously on good terms with a lot of people there. They gave him the nicest send off that anybody who's not straight up retiring has received in recent memory. Um, Yeah. And, and I I mean, I find it, I, I mean, who knows, but I find it slightly hard to imagine that that they did that, I mean, that he was, like, lying to them, and he was saying, like, no, I'm just gonna go, you know, whatever, I'm gonna go work a desk job, and then, like, the moment he's out of contract, he's like, psych, I got a video, you know, I mean, I, I find that, I it, it, I think it's totally within the realm of possibility that he just said, I want to take some time off, rediscover myself, rediscover my love for pro wrestling, and then maybe I'll end up being one of these Chris Jericho types who just, like, goes and does other stuff, but pops back up when you need me for big shows, and maybe I'll have another run down the line. I mean, it's clear that they that they view him at least in that Jericho category of people that that it's better to be it's better to stay on good terms with and not you know and not burn the bridges even though WWE is always is almost you know ninety five percent of the time is eager to burn that bridge with the assumption yeah. that if they can repair it later on yeah they they burn it because they know that people will come back um, but with Dean yeah I I don't know I really don't know and I. It really makes you wonder because, like, would he do all this just to pop right back up in WWE? I really don't know. Well, here's the thing, and this is what, you, what it comes down to so many times. There's finally competition now. And so WWE, on the one hand, has to be a little bit, I mean, in some situations, you would assume is, is, having, is having to be a little bit more 
generous than they would have been in, in, in different ways because there's there are other opportunities for their talent. You know, if they're ever going to get Ambrose back, and they, they certainly see him as an asset, the, the move is, is, is to be magnanimous about all this, uh, at least for the time being. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how if you know if there's any like trademark lawsuits that pop up. Although I think it's been pretty well established that nobody holds any John Moxley trademarks at the moment. But you know, there, there's other opportunities for him out there, and 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 you know, they they have to be WWE on some level has to be a little bit realistic about the rest of the wrestling world, even if they're not acutely concerned about potential AEW TV deals or you know whatever else. That said, now let's make a smooth transition. That said, there's not, they're not, they're not always magnanimous. Uh, right now, we're the the other the other thing we're hearing about at length, uh, all over. I mean, much more than like you than anybody's talking about money in the bank right now. People are talking about Luke Harper. We and we discussed this in the show in the past, but there's news on like every front. Luke Harper wants his release. The news from Meltzer, I believe it's it was Meltzer. Yeah, is that Vince McMahon let Luke Harper know in writing that he wouldn't release him. Luke Harper was apparently scheduled to work after work a program with Sami Zayn after Mania, but they yanked. They decided they decided against that at the last minute. And there's been all this like Luke Harper's been like pitching ideas and and creative, just been saying no, 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 no. Vince McMahon apparently has a grudge against him because four years ago they tried to get him to do a Southern accent so he could play like a Duck Dynasty character or something, and he couldn't pull off a Southern accent, and that's the biggest knock on him. I mean, it's just. Absolutely nuts. Like somebody should make Vince watch the the Bruiser Brody Dark Side of the Ring to show him like what this guy. I mean, if you just want to make him a cliche, like that's it's sitting right in front of you, you know. And uh, all that said, apparently he's not going to get out of his contract. Then we have the Revival, who they're like. I mean, some people were saying they like jobbed him out on Raw and, and whatever. I mean, they offered these guys uh, five year, five hundred thousand. I think five hundred thousand a year contracts over five years, which. Uh, that's a really nice contract. <laughs> I mean, that's a yeah. really, really nice deal. I mean, I can I can fully understand how difficult this must be to say, like, what if we find ourselves just as unhappy two months into this new contract and we have four years and ten months left on it, right? I mean, there's that that's that's a real that's a real thing. That said, it's life changing money for your family, but WWE has this ability, and I was going to get to this earlier, but it's not just that they have the ability to sign guys to huge contracts. And and they can make stars in a way that no one else can make stars. but And it's also the dream of everybody, right? So it's like, you can go, Dean Ambrose can go work the indies, can go do whatever, but like, on some level, you find, if, if he rekindles his love for pro wrestling, it seems like that road will eventually lead back to WWE, right? Because your love, your, the, your, your, the dreams that led you here were probably included a WrestleMania main event, right? I mean, that that was the dream, so... They, they kind of have people tied in on these different ways. But anyway, Luke Harper wants out. They say no. The Revival wants out. They offer him these new contracts. Apparently, the Revival's declined them. They lost, you know, pretty ingloriously on Raw. And then there's rumors now that they're going to, like, tack some time onto Dash Wilder's contract that he was out for injury. Really weird that yeah. WWE keeps doing this injury extension stuff right now of all times. Um, and then Sasha Banks is out there. We uh, D- Dave Schilling wrote a piece for The Ringer yesterday, or this morning, sorry, about... Uh, Excuse me? Sasha Banks and just kind of how she could have gone from... I mean, how like, it's really mind-blowing when, when Schilling put it down on paper to think that, like, when she... Like, it wasn't that long ago when we were all saying, you know, if there's a if, if there's a if there's going to be a rock in this generation of wrestlers, not women wrestlers, if, if there's a rock in this generation of WWE, it might be Sasha Banks. And yeah. for her to for her to now be like 
in the situation that she's even if she were still working and if she were still happy that she's still in the situation that she's in and that she's like off TV incommunicado you know only popping up on like random like comedians Twitter account or Instagram accounts and I mean nobody nobody knows what's going on there it's that's that's pretty that's pretty mind blowing too right yeah and I mean I'll say this about Sasha Banks <laughs> Rosenberg is right more often than we give him credit for because I recall uh, WrestleMania Dallas Radio Row you, me, Rosenberg, we're interviewing Sasha Banks, and we you set up a really good feel-good moment for us to make our media predictions on the women's title match, and you and me predict Sasha to go over and win the championship and get her WrestleMania moment. And for whatever reason, Rosenberg was just like, no, nah, I'm going to go Charlotte. I don't, think, I don't think you're there yet. And I don't know, whatever it was that Rosenberg <laughs> saw in that moment, it seems to be what the company saw because they went the way that he thought they would go with Sasha. And for whatever reason, they always go the way he thinks they would go. And right now, uh, it seems that she's at her wit's end with all of that. And and she should be because she is super talented. She can go in the ring. She has a connection with the audience like none other. But I don't know what isn't clicking backstage because they are not pushing her to the moon where we all think she belongs. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's been these rumors for a long time about Sasha and whatever's going on backstage, and we're going to about to talk about Leo Rush, who has his own mess going on back there. There's different sorts of people that don't seem to get like go along, get along backstage in WWE, and I've always felt this, like, it, this is not, not right when she debuted, but when the rumors start coming out in the past several years about, about you know, the... Or, whatever's going on with Sasha Banks in the, you know, in, in the front office and her backstage rep or whatever, I feel so much empathy and sympathy only because, like, I know that that would be me if I were a wrestler. Like, I would just be like, I mean, not not even, if I were, not that level of success, but if I were, you know, magically given that level of success, I'm totally the sort of person that, like, people look at, would look at from across the office or across the locker room and just be like, man, why is he being such a dick? And I'm just like, no, I'm just, like, daydreaming, you know? <laughs> like, I'm not, like, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just, like, I'm just somewhere else right now, you know, or, like, whatever. Like, I just not, the locker room for all, over the years has always, and even now, even in the in the age of heavyweight champions playing video games in their, in their hotel rooms, it's still, it's still a place for, like, like alpha dogs, you know, I mean, it's still, it's still like a sports locker room to a large extent. And, uh, it's more family oriented. It's more welcoming. It's more comfortable than it's been in a long time, but there's certain personalities that like people just don't know what to do with. And you start to, and you start to fill in the blanks with your own experience, your own expectations. And you, and people get bad reps for really nothing, you know I mean? For just being themselves. And that sucks. You know, that's really bad. And who knows if that's what's happening, but that's, those are the, those are the connections that I drew. But, I mean, I think one point that Schilling brought up, which is which is really pertinent, is that she's in a different situation than Luke Harper or than, you know, Dean Ambrose. And if she goes out, if she were to get released from her contract tomorrow, like, what is the, like, she has, like, one or two, like, sort of dreamy matchups that she could have. She could headline AEW, you know, she could she could do some cool stuff. But it's not like, it's, I mean, WWE has has so many of the best American or you know at least non-Japanese women's wrestlers in the world, right? I mean they have they like, such the a Japanese high percentage. <laughs> I know. I mean they've got a lot of those, but like I mean I'm, I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to claim that I have like the an encyclopedic not encyclopedic knowledge of of you know every like foreign foreign working women's wrestler, but they've signed so many. I mean, like just I know when when they signed Tony Storm, somebody WWE told me that they, you know, usually they they'll let you finish out your indie the indie dates you already have scheduled, and I'm pretty sure Tony Storm is still working indie dates even though she's she's officially signed to NXT because she had so many dates scheduled because there's just not that many good workers like they she she just had like an incredible number of deal, I mean, of just like future wrestling dates set because because she was in such high demand, so much higher than a lot of her male counterparts. Yeah. And it, it's just a smaller, it's a smaller world. So Sasha's going to be out there. And I mean, if Sasha were out there, it's, I don't, I mean, it, there's, there's less opportunities for her to make herself into a wrestling star outside of WWE. Is that, am I assuming too much to say that? No, I think you're absolutely right. And it, it, it goes to the state of women's wrestling, just like, just globally. Um, it, the people are not that well known. So it would literally be Sasha Banks bouncing from promotion to promotion, um, making stars. Uh, she really, not to disrespect all the women's wrestlers who are not under the WWE banner, but she doesn't have many equals out there. And the ones that she does have are already in the locker room with her. So if she goes, she's going to find a tough road of um, just getting back to where she is right now. Much tougher than Dean who can pop up at, at an AEW or go to like a New Japan or really go anywhere. And there's five or six dream matches waiting for him. Yeah. Well, like we just we mentioned him earlier. Uh, we got to touch on Leo Rush. Sean Ross Sapp over at Fightful <laughs> had a great interview with Leo Rush. Who, uh, this is a this is an incredible example. I mean, listen, the wrestling world, the the world of wrestling journalism, I'll say, is a weird world. It's not. I mean, th- there's very few people out there who are actually like working the journalistic beat. I do not count myself among them. People fight in the good fight, but it's hard. You know, I mean, you don't. WWE filters out. I mean, filters a lot of the the contact with wrestlers. It's not like you can just like, you know, call. A, a, an athlete like you can call a, a, a sports star or his agent or you know try to get a comment on something not that that's always easy but it's tough to and, and listen and we're in a world of kayfabe it's hard to suss out the truth can you like cr- full credit to Sean Ross Sapp for actually like getting in touch with Leo Rush which no one really try, <laughs> right. apparently had tried effectively to do before here's Leo Rush's big complaints that I think are really salient um, because it should be said he was not on Raw this week um, his his uh the guy he was he was managing, Bobby Lashley, had a match with the Miz and Sean. I mean, and uh, Shane McMahon made a sort of like bizarre appearance, storyline wise, um, coming over from SmackDown to further torment the Miz, even though they're separated <laughs> by shows now, and sort of like teaming up with Lashley in a new way. When like Leo Rush is nowhere to be found. All right, here's what we got. Leo Rush says apparently there's some heat on him for. Uh, he 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 couldn't pay his. He, he said he didn't. He wasn't making enough money to cover his hotel and his travel. Our buddy uh, Mark Henry has taken exception to this, you know. And 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 that, but but seriously, if if there's a, I mean, nobody knows how much Leo Rush is getting paid. If he's getting paid, if they gave him a full main roster salary when he got called up, if he's getting some kind of weird manager salary, if he's still making his developmental salary because he's not a full time work. I mean, the whole thing. No one no one knows. Yeah, um, only he knows. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. At this point, none of us know. Um, there was also the story about. Uh, oh, he says there was there was heat between him and Lashley. He said there's no heat between him and Lashley. His only heat was with the fact that like Lashley was getting all the residuals from uh, their the merch sales, even though 
even though Leo him, Leo says he was they were his catchphrases or he was the one getting getting it over basically you know and that that's a that's a good that's, that's a real it. argument uh, you know, if you're the one making this stuff, if you're the one making this push work, uh, maybe you should get a little bit. And then listen, I don't think anybody thinks that should come out of Bobby Lashley's pocket. Just, you know, just, you just got to up the overall royalty rate or something and give Leo a little bit of it. Um, yeah. and then the other thing was the, the really specific thing, um, that he refused to do the normal, like kind of rookie thing and like carry drinks and bottles of water to like the, the meetup area when they were doing the, the European tour, because they would like cordon off a little section so that all the wrestlers could hang out in the hotel away from the prying eyes, et cetera, and that he had refused to do it. And in this one, he says he didn't have any problem. Uh, I'll actually go to this quote from, this is from Fightful. He says, it's not about race and it never has been, but public perception is important to me. And when we have fans that travel all over the globe and watch us get off the buses and into hotels, the look of a black kid carrying waters and bags for other wrestlers is just not a good look, especially when I'm trying to portray <laughs> myself as a superstar as well. And that's another good I, point. I think, I mean, listen, there's, there's this thing in sports where like, you know, in training camp, the rookies got to do all this stuff and basketball and football, whatever. Like they're, they're, they're always kind of given, you know, they're always kind of, it's, it's always so silly, right? When these guys, when a guy will come out as a first round pick and he'll be making $20 million or more or whatever, but he still has to sort of like act this, like do this kind of pay his dues thing. But you get it. It's tradition. You know, it's a it's 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 a it's not like an easy argument to make either way. So people usually just let it slide. And. You know, so you can kind of see it from that point of view, but he mean, listen, it, it, that's one sentence and he makes a really good case. <laughs> I don't know why that's a yeah. weird thing. What's, what do you what do you think? <laughs> yeah, that that based on the perception, I mean, perception is reality, right? And you have this company who they just gave Kofi the championship. But before that, we all heard the same arguments about how the black wrestlers got overlooked. Um, this is racist. That is racist. They have the history of the racist gimmicks. And then that's just the scripted stuff. So like he says, for people to be waiting at a hotel to see their favorite superstars and see Leo Rush, one of the most popular superstars on Monday Night Raw, carrying people's bags and carrying the waters. Well, that's not part of the show. That's not a scripted thing, that's a real thing that would really raise questions about what's happening in this company. And it's really hard to to explain that away as like, this is how it's always been done. You don't understand. Because I'm sure Rick Flair had to carry somebody's bags too at some point. But when yeah. you see it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit you the same way. It just doesn't feel the same way. As if you, like you said, you see this black kid carrying everybody's bags and playing a servant. And that's him paying his dues. And I mean, there's other ways to do it. Make him pay for everybody's dinner. So I don't know. That's that's what they do on football teams, right? The rookies pay for the dinners. The rookies do this. The rookies do that. But yeah, the carrying the bag in and out of the hotel and off the bus is a suspect. Yeah. Well, I hope he gets it. Gets his chance. I hope you know. That there's talk that he's going to end up back in NXT. Um, I'm sure there was some thought about 205 Live for him. Although he's, you know. He's a he's an incredible worker, man. I mean that that's often overlooked. Is that he wasn't? I mean he was he was signed. I'm sure they as a worker. I mean it's not like he was like out there running his mouth at every indie show that he was working. Yeah, he'll tell you he was bad on the mic in the indies. He'll tell you he wasn't that great. And then he got to WWE and whatever happened, something changed in him in NXT and he became one of the best on the mic that they had. Um, that they have, I should say. 
And yeah, they got to find a way to work around that. If it's that important for him to pay his dues, <laughs> there has to be, it, it can't be a make or break thing on the carrying of the bags in, in the water. One other thing we have to mention, um, as we're talking about guys who have at some point asked out of their, or wanted out of their contract to go work indie shows, thankfully not counted amongst that category at this point, is Daniel Bryan, who is apparently, again, according to Meltzer, uh, healthy, medically cleared, and ready to get back on TV perhaps as soon as next week, um, which is amazing news. We really didn't talk about that much in the show, but like anytime someone's out with an injury, you get a little bit sick to your stomach. And Daniel Bryan obviously is in that category where like you just like you your fears always you you always go to your worst fear <laughs> whenever mm-hmm. he's out for a minute. Yeah. Um, so good news on that front. Listen, uh, Raw and SmackDown also happened this week. It's important to point out. I got to tell you, at some point I was watching. SmackDown, not even Raw. I was watching SmackDown, and they were hyping Money in the Bank to such a degree, the way they were talking about it, I was just like, oh, crap, is Money in the Bank on Sunday? I have this fear probably every month now. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like two weeks away, and and it was like, oh, man, this is is some serious stuff. They've basically set up both Money in the Bank ladder matches, right? I believe all those those slots are filled down on the men's and the women's side. They're both going to be very elaborate, multi-show affairs. Becky Lynch uh, is feuding with um, multi- with two different people at the same time. She's apparently going to have two matches at Money in the Bank. I say apparently. I mean, it's, she, she clearly is scheduled to have two matches. I don't know if there's going to be any shenanigans or whatever. Seth Rollins and AJ Styles had their contract signing. If you had, <laughs> and so, I mean, really, if, if I wake up on Monday morning and this pay-per-view has already happened, I apologize, guys. Uh, but I, 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 <laughs> but uh, so they already had their contract signing. Roman Reigns and Elias are going to square off. Miz and Shane McMahon, as mentioned earlier, are going to fight. Uh, and then Kofi Kingston and Kevin Owens made it official this week, too, for the WWE Championship match from the SmackDown side. This is a stacked card, man. Yeah, and it, it's got the potential to be like a show stealer. Uh, just off those two Becky Lynch matches alone, I mean, her and Charlotte together are money. But Lacey Evans, I got to say, the, the turnaround that she made for me between just walking down the aisle and walking back for months and me not wanting to see her ever again to her coming out and just punching Becky Lynch in the face and me wanting to see that every week is is astounding. And I, I think that when they get in the ring, they're gonna they're gonna work well together. This is good. This is actually like the the most like un like unhot but totally hot take. Uh, you could possibly have the, like you're excited about Lacey Evans. Yeah, I want to see her lot... punch Becky Lynch in the face <laughs> over and over. <laughs> There's not a lot of Lacey, not a ton of Lacey Evans excitement out there uh, in the wrestling world, at least in the, the corners of it that I see. But I'm with you. I mean, I think that. Listen, I mean, she's kind of gotten shotgunned a little bit, and she's going to get that knock from the wrestling fandom just because the word came out so early that she was a McMahon favorite. You know, I mean that she's that she's that they have her they have her positioned for big things. Um, there's also this weird story that came out that's like half a story that the plan for WrestleMania 36, which initially it had um, initially was Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair one on one. Um, has already been changed, and that's why they're going ahead with Becky versus Charlotte at Money in the Bank. I have no idea what to make of this. I don't think it's. I don't think there's any truth to it. So anymore. I mean, beyond the fact that like it would seem un WWE to give the match away now if we're going to save it, but they can't. 
I mean, every year this far out, there is a WrestleMania card written in pencil somewhere. I've said this a million times. Um, and and it never comes, it, it, none of it ever pans out. You know, I mean, it had the, yeah. it had, I think I've said this before, that that penciled in card had a rock versus Brock on it for like four years, you know, and that obviously has never happened. So bad. Um, <clears throat> and, and, I mean, I've heard a lot of rumors about that card. I mean, it's it's only the very top of the card, obviously, that gets penciled in. But that that'll be interesting to see what happens. But it, but but Lacey Evans may well be there at the top of the card, you know, ten ten months from now. Um, and there's also Ronda Rousey's floating around out there, and any number of things could happen. I mean, Sasha Banks could be headlining WrestleMania next year, for all we know. You know, I mean that 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 would not be the, out of the realm of comprehension either. Um, I, I mean, she's I, not on I, this card though, so it, it seems like a stretch right now given that they have big women and money in the bank and none of them are Sasha Banks. That is true. And the and the, the women's money in the bank card is, I mean, Dana Brooke is, is, has not been utilized to the best of her ability in her time in WWE, but I think a lot of people were surprised to see her included in this match. Um, although she can't actually, like, play a really important role. She's sort of the powerhouse of, of the, the, the folks that are in this match. Um, but it's Dana Brooke... Natalia, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, and then on the SmackDown side, Bailey, Mandy Rose, Ember Moon, and Carmella. Um, I, 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 I will give them credit. I, I'm enjoy, I enjoy that like they're actually telling a story with Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, even though it's not like an active like like front of the, you know, like very like 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 tip of your tongue sort of story. They're actually going through mm-hmm. with this little like minor dissension story, even like in a in little steady drip week by week. Um, I don't who do you know. Think I mean, it's, stabs who in the back? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, listen. I think you know recent evidence with with uh, you know Sasha and Bailey would lead would lead you to believe that that they'll probably just keep teasing this and then they'll just keep forgetting it every two months. Um, yeah. But uh, but but my guess is that is that Sonya will eventually uh, you know stab Mandy Rose. Well, no, no. I guess Mandy Rose will have to. Uh, yeah, Sonya will, st- will stab yeah. Mandy Rose in the back. They'll try to push Mandy Rose as a big baby face. It won't work. They'll have to do a flip-flop, something something to that effect. Um, but I got to say, there's not like, there's not a, there's not an, an obvious winner in this. Carmella, obviously, you know, this wouldn't be her first win. Um, you could imagine Mandy Rose, Ember Moon, um... I guess those are the two I would say would be in the would be in line for like the let's just give somebody the rocket sort of win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bailey Bailey and Alexa Bliss are both like would be like legitimate. I think you know when I every year with the money in the bank and I'm, I'm this isn't a formal prediction, but every year I, I I my my the way I make the decision is who I can who can I imagine carrying the briefcase around for a year and Bailey has to be on at, that list, right? Bailey could have, Bailey and Alexa Bliss, I think, are my top two. I could imagine Alexa Bliss just sort of like having a felt black and pink briefcase that she carries around, some sort of attache uh, with the Money in the Bank logo on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I we'll we'll see, well, but I but I think that go on with Alexa Bliss, right? You can you can imagine it because she did it last year. <laughs> she won last year. Granted, she didn't hold on to it for long she got rid of it by the end of the night but yeah i mean do they do that again and then have the same woman win money in the bank two times in a row again yeah i mean she's obviously in a different position than she was last year um but that would be interesting if they brought that same storyline back 
and 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 just had her re up it. Um, you know, this could be a really cool match. But um, I'm I'm I gotta say I'm 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 very excited about the men's side. I was not as excited. I mean, Raw on Raw when they announced Drew and Baron versus Braun and Ricochet. Uh, I mean, they introduced those four guys, the contestants, and then it went into a tag match. I mean, that was a fine, fun match or whatever. Uh, it's fun to see Braun and Ricochet um, as a little big man, little man team. Um, but Braun and McIntyre and Corbin being like three of the first four people announced, I was sort of like, okay, whatever, like not so excited. Thankfully, SmackDown came in with with Ali, Finn Balor, and Andrade, also Randy Orton, yeah. who's you know, always fine. But man, this is going to be a hell of a match with a whole lot of like m- like super flips off of ladders potential in this, right? Yeah, just between just between the SmackDown competitors, they're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think we've seen Andrade in a ladder match or like anything involving ladders in WWE yet, have we? Uh, you know, I'm gonna I, I would I I can't say it with confidence, but I don't think we have. Yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing because, <laughs> you know, Andrade and Finn had that excellent one-on-one match. Um, and Ali, we've seen what he can do when he's uh, mismatched in size. It's always something spectacular. So you just know those three are going to bring it. And then you throw Ricochet into that. I mean, Ricochet might just like, I mean, I, I, I'm, I am super excited to see what he's going to do. Um, it's funny, man. It's funny that I mean, I, I think I might have said this before, but it's funny that to think to look at the this lineup and and think that like Finn Balor is like like the fourth most aerodynamic person in the match. Like <laughs> right <laughs> when when he debuted, it was like this is the future of high flying professional wrestling. Bill Simmons said this on his podcast. I think it was this week that like when we're talking about how like how you know in basketball and I think they were talking about like track and stuff. How like it's it's it se- always seems impossible to think how people can keep getting like more like how can keep evolving physically and then like the next generation does it. Man, pro wrestling it's like happening by the minute, like before our very eyes. Like there's yeah. stuff that if if all if all you watch was was WWE especially to like see how this oh my god to see how the sport is changing. I mean even your your like. Guys like like I said, Finn Balor doesn't even seem like that much of a high flyer anymore. Someone like Seth Rollins, who is who is now just like your kind of benchmark. He's your you know universal champion. He's doing stuff in the ring week in and week out that like you know someone from our childhood would have like broken in half trying to do. Yeah, um, it's like Shawn Michaels, right? Shawn Michaels was the first sort of high flying wrestler that everybody fell in love with, and then you think about what Shawn Michaels is doing in his prime compared to what Ricochet does on like a Monday. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's no contest. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good show. Thankfully it's two weeks away. So we have uh, much more time to, uh, to hype this thing up. Let me just run. I'm going to run through Ron Smackdown. You G- Yeah. You let me know. I'm going to, I'm just going to name some names and you give me your takes. Okay. This is, this is what we got. Oh, what do you okay, think? Like what do you think? What do you think about the Usos on Raw so far? So far, so good. Um, they've elevated the tag team division for sure. I like them with the club. They can have good matches with all those guys. They're all sort of fresh matchups. So I'm liking it so far. I'm really enjoying how the superstar shakeup is a never-ending process, and it's not even really remarked upon. It's very, it's it's so hilarious and bizarre. It would be so much more fun if they actually, like I've said this so many times, like they just like act like announced a trade in the middle of Raw. 
You know, I mean, to say like, yeah, we just made this trade before we came on the air. We're excited to have the club on Monday nights. Yeah. But no, they'll just, they just pretend that we, we'll forget about it. And we will. We'll forget about it immediately. What about the Viking Raiders, formerly known as the Viking Experience, formerly known as, wait, what were they called? <laughs> the War Raiders. The War Raiders, sorry. And then from before that, War Machine. What do you think about them on Raw so far? So as a team, they're awesome. But the name changes, I really wasn't feeling the name changes. Uh, War Raiders worked out fine. Um, the Viking experience was was just absolutely awful. Linda's the only one who's going to say that that was a good name for a team. Now, as a name for a finish, though, I love it. Viking Raiders is still growing on me, but it's already an improvement from the Viking experience. The Viking Raiders, the Viking Raiders at, at a minimum is less, uh, it's more forgettable. And that's the important thing. You know, we just want to see these guys come to the ring, wreak havoc, do their finishing moves on the Lucha House Party and get out. I, I assume we'll be seeing them against the Usos in the not too, too distant future. And that'll be a whole lot of fun. Um, let me see. We talked about Becky Lynch and, and Lacey Evans. We talked about the revival. Oh, how are you feeling about these? The two people. I, well, before we get to the two people, we're going to talk about um, Ray, Ray Mysterio got that roll up on Samoa Joe. I'm pretty sure that's the only way Samoa Joe loses now is like with this roll up, which is you know I guess like according to physics that's not a bad. Uh, I mean that's not like totally ridiculous, but uh, but what do you, what do you think about that little burgeoning feud? I like it. I, I was disappointed with how quick the match was at Mania. I mean, from a fan standpoint, disappointed. From a this show is going to go seven hours. It was great. They got them in and out in <laughs> 60 seconds. It was perfect. But uh, from a fan, you want to see so much more from Rey Mysterio and Samoa Joe. So I hope it does keep going and getting better and better. Yeah, they're always... They're the two of the... I mean, I can't believe I'm so into Rey Mysterio. I mean, this is the, why people need to be given time off. 30 By the way, years. Rey Mysterio, 30 years he's been wrestling. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's really crazy. And he's still at the top of his game somehow. And and going back to that initial conversation, I think Schilling touched on this in his piece. Excuse it was, me? It was uh, not that long ago that they were tagging, that they added a year under Rey Mysterio's contract because he was, he his was running out and he wanted to go do Lucha Underground for a season. You know, I mean, they were, WWE was, gave that to him too. And then, of course, as with so many others, they made amends and everything else and, and now Rey's back in full form. Um, all right, Sami Zayn cut another promo. I'm just going to lump these two together. And Bray Wyatt came back with the second episode of the Firefly Funhouse. Firefly Funhouse. Say that five times fast. Um, what is your take on those two fellas? I am all in on both of them. Uh, Sami Zayn is telling like it is. He's telling us what we need to hear. Um, yeah, especially when you think about the wrestling community on social media. And I'm a part of this, too, of just like, we don't like something. We complain until they change it, and then if they don't change it, we throw tantrums. Uh, we act like kingmakers instead of just letting the WWE do what they do, which is what got us all into it in the first place. And uh, Sammy's not having it. <laughs> and, um, this, is a, this is a long way from the guy who was mute under a mask. <laughs> now Every time we see him, he's going to tell us like it is in a fire promo, which is kind of crazy that he had that in him. Yeah. Um, and Bray... I don't, I don't know where this is going, but I'm captivated. And it's sort of creepy that this is like aimed at children, but it's also still kind of captivating. And I want to see where this goes. 
it's definitely going to be creepy like the old Bray was creepy because you can't take that away from him. But um, this is just sinister. I must have said this before, but the first time I watched the Firefly Funhouse, the first sketch, uh, or the first installment, I was watching it with the subtitles, and Abby the Witch was referred to as Pepe on the subtitles, and I don't, I don't know yeah. why. It, it did sort of sound like that, and I just, and I cannot not think of her as Pepe now. It's really bizarre. Um, <laughs> Pepe is also a great name for a witch on a weird kids show. Um, all right, so what's your? I'm gonna take your take your temperature on a couple of SmackDown things before we get out of here. Tell, tell me what you want to talk about. Kevin Owens versus Kofi Kingston. How excited are we for the for for Owens trying to uh, to to ruin Kofi in the New Day's uh, moment in the sun? I'm not feeling it. I need Kofi to get a good month before before these type of shenanigans. But it, <laughs> it's going to produce a great match, though. It is. It's just with Kevin Owens, you just know that no one is safe. He uh, thrashed Xavier Woods two weeks in a row, and I sort of almost want him to put Xavier Woods on the sidelines going into that Money in the Bank match so that Kofi's back is really up against the wall and then we see what Kofi's made of. Um, obviously, I wanted to come out with the championship, but this sort of can't be New Day's championship. It has to be Kofi's. And I think KO is doing the necessary work to make it feel that way by just annihilating Xavier Woods every chance he gets. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I think they have the potential to tell a really cool story, especially because if if like the rumors would be believed that this is uh you know it was supposed to be Daniel Bryan's spot and his injury kind of put him out, maybe maybe they'll they'll be able to tell an, a nice story here with the three of them, uh, the th- those three competitors, and then also the New Day. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be mad if to see like Daniel Bryan and and Rowan and Kevin Owens against the New Day down the road or something like that. They, there's there's a lot of ways they could go with this, but I agree with you. Kofi needs. Kofi needs his little chance in the spotlight. Uh, little, he needs a giant's chance in the spotlight, and it's not just a new day thing. Um, yeah, but but congrats to WWE for figuring out a way to do this without like breaking up the new day. Um, I feel like I need to constantly positively reinforce this move because it's uh, it would have been just too easy. Yeah, we have to let them know that they're on the right track before they start to second guess, and then next thing you know, yeah. new day is old yeah. news. Yeah, no, next thing you know, like Xavier Woods is demanding his release so he can go work in Japan or something. Um, we got to get out of here. I'm going to talk to Jim a little bit after we get off here about um, Dark Side of the Ring. And uh, but, but Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you, can hear Greg, well, Greg, you, you can hear Greg every week on uh, a podcast I've, I, I am dimly aware of called Cheap Eat. <laughs> anything, anything else you want to plug? No, man, Cheap Heat is it. We got me and Rosenberg coming back this week. More for your earballs. But everybody knows that. If they listen to the Masked Man Show, they listen to Cheap Heat, they listen to State of Combat, they keep it in the family. Yeah, well, if you just keep it in that family, I think you get a pretty good, I mean, you're, you're pretty busy. We're like, we're almost at like WWE level of permeation of the podcast uh, universe right now. Yeah, we got our three brands. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, thanks for having me. We got our three brands. That's great. Um, thank you. Thanks again, man. I'll talk to you really soon. Yeah, for sure. Later, Jim. Later, buddy. Later, Greg. Later. That was Greg the Virgin Hammer Hyde. Appreciate it very much talking on the show. Now I'm bringing out, <laughs> that sounded terrible. Jim, my heel producer, the number one fan of Viceland's Dark Side of the Ring TV show. I like this show 
because it's a fun show. It does some good stuff, but also because Jim is learning about the history of professional wrestling, which he could have learned about by reading my book, but he's functionally illiterate. I did read your book. Uh, then you know a lot about the Von Erich family already. I skimmed your book. Never mind. I really like this episode. Uh, listen, I'm a mark for the Von Erichs for their, for their, I mean, their very sad, like heart-wrenching story. There was a 30 for 30 short that covered a lot of the same territory a few years back. I do think that this episode of Dark Side, compared to some of the other ones, which felt a little bit kayfabe or a little bit like, like they're not trying to work us, but like we'll never know the truth. This was just like a kind of a straight telling of the story, the Von Erich story. Brutal. They left out a lot of stuff, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to point out, but they got the arc right. And the stuff that they chose to hit on, they got to Lance Von Erich at the expense of some of the other stuff. But I think that was an important, to me, when I was writing about rest, when I was writing about the Von Erichs, mm-hmm. the deaths are like the the defining thing. Um, I start my 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 essay about it. It's in my book, uh, The Squared Circle, with this really bizarre urban legend that grew up around them. That the that Fritz von Erich was literally cursed by a Holocaust survivor because he was playing this Nazi character, what? and that that yeah, read the book. And that it's it's a it's not no one tell, it's not a real story like whatever but it's one that you like I heard and couldn't get it out of my head because their story is one of being just utterly cursed. Now there's that part of it, but there's also the kayfabe part of it, which is I'm deeply interested in the them bringing on Lance von Erich, a fake von Erich, to sort of paper over the the tragedies that they had suffered. They needed they felt like they needed another von Erich to work and you know work matches, and they brought in a fake one. And that that was when the fans were like, like, we've been, like, it's such an interesting thing. We have been adhering to the rules of kayfabe for this long. Right. But part of the deal is you can't, you can't, you can't treat us like idiots. We will, we will go along with this big lie, but you have to take, but you have to treat us like adults. And they, they spit in the fans' faces by doing something so utterly, obviously fake and uh, bringing in a fake Von Erich and and having and saying, like, now you have to go along. Now it's not just like, oh, those punches are a little bit worked or, like, maybe the Freebirds and the Von Erichs might get, a, might get dinner after a match. But, like, we're just lying to you. This is all a put-on. And it makes... That's what makes wrestling, especially when coming out of, like, the 80s, that's what... That, you couldn't, like... You embarrass your fans and that just kind of, like, destroys the entire thing. By the time I got to the Sportatorium... Uh, not the Sportatorium. Yeah, when, by the time I got to the Sportatorium in... The late '90s, mid '90s, uh, it was a shell of what it had been. I mean, it was just—it's a shack with a couple with like you know a hundred people in it, and and that's—it's it, just amazing how far how far that promotion fell in such a quick amount of time. And I think that the tragedy and the weird kayfabe side of it, you know, that it, it that's a tragedy in and of itself. Well, what was your take from watching the show? Quite depressing, horrible. Um, yeah, the, I thought the Lance. Uh segment about Lance von Erich was interesting and actually just kind of entertaining to see uh I think Kevin said that he and Carrie pushed back on it. Oh yeah, Ke- yeah, Kevin said that he hated Ke- it. Yeah. yeah, like Kevin and Carrie were like absolutely not, let's not do this. And then uh yeah, and Jim Cornette's said it all blew up in their face. Um I had made a note the other interesting story I thought was Kevin von Erich saying after Kerry told him he was thinking about committing suicide, mm-hmm. Kevin had the idea for the two of them to go to Alaska, each have a forty-four caliber gun, 
And I thought he was going to say, like, shoot each other at the same time. But he said, oh, go yeah. out and we'll find a polar bear and we'll each have six shots and then the polar bear will kill us. And it's like, what the? And he said he really just wanted to get him alone and away from all the drugs and everything to get him up there, uh-huh. which is actually a good idea. But what a crazy idea. I'm also going to Alaska next week, by the way. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> random. Just kind of yeah. burying the lead there. <laughs> yeah, Don't do anything dangerous, okay? <laughs> know, random. Right? Um, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff. There's a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I think that it's the same thing with the with the 30 for 30 that they short that they did. There's something about they're just so just so affecting about the sort of blissed out modern Kevin Von Erich, right? I mean, he's got his sons who are trying to continue the legacy, but really it's just Kevin Von Erich just on some Zen other level hanging out in 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 Hawaii because yeah. uh, of course he had to get away from Texas and and I mean it's just really it's that's almost more emotionally affecting in its way than the whole story you know yeah that was nice um, to see how at peace he was and he's got the boys by the way is that family just genetic freaks because even the yeah, sons right? are just like ripped as hell or do they just get the best steroids was Fritz von Erich like the king. Uh, I mean, I think in the '80s in Texas, there was probably any num- any amount of you know illicit consumption going on, but that's not all those guys. Not, I have no reason to believe. Like yeah, but monsters. there was obviously a lot of there was obviously a lot of genetics there. I mean, yeah. Fritz was Fritz was just a beast. Mm-hmm. David von Erich, who you know I have to share a name with, so I was always a huge fan of. Uh, wasn't exactly your like prototypical like gassed up body or whatever he looked like a real natural dude he was the best out of all of them but he didn't have that look like carrie he was supposed to, he was supposed to be champion i mean that's why yeah. everyone says that he, he was that carrie kind of got his spot his run with the belt and he's definitely more of an old school nwa champion type uh but yeah i mean the kevin's kids look amazing um you know who knows if we'll ever see them on the big stage someday but but yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 an incredible family. They're definitely all gifted. They're I mean, give, they've been they were given a lot in the genetic category, one way or the other. And they and and it's just a tragic, tragic story. And I, you know, I think it's it's a it's a you know, there's a lot. That story, that documentary could have been forty hours long. You know, and there's obviously been some other ones. WWE did one. I think Michael Hayes had a hand in doing a separate one before he was with WWE. Somebody else did one. Mm-hmm. I think that's on. It's on. There's one that's on YouTube. I think that's the non-WWE one. Did you see, at the very end of the documentary, it showed that uh, Kevin's last match was with his sons in, like, 2017. Yeah, that's a very old, that's a very Fritz von Erich move. Fritz was working until... It was nice. Another crazy thing from the story, I don't think they touched on this on the Vice thing, was that, you know, Fritz wrestled, quote-unquote, wrestled late into his life, you know? I mean, he mm-hmm. was he was out there with his sons when he was just wearing, like, slacks and a short sleeve button-down getting involved in matches and stuff because the fans loved him so much. But he had, like, a fake heart attack as part of a gimmick during a match. Nice. They forfeited the kayfabe in a real way. And I, I know that's not, the, that's not the central part of the story, but it's an interesting thing when we talk about WWE and kind of playing us for idiots, for fools, you know? <laughs> um, I don't think it's always... It's not the same thing now as it was back then, but, but it's a real thing. Anyway, it's a cool episode. One other thing I noticed that I didn't know yeah. there... When they showed a highlight of, I think it was Chris Von Erich, the smallest, mm-hmm. they showed a tag match, and he was going against Percy Pringle, who is yeah. Paul Bearer, and mm-hmm. Stunning Steve Austin. Yeah. Stone Cold. That was a tag team? Paul Bearer and Stone Cold? Well, Percy was his day. manager. Percy was his manager. That's, a, that's the way oh, they kind of like work. A, it was like a mixed manager. Yeah, and because Chris was obviously not like a so full. Small. Yeah. yeah, so it was like Chris Chris and, and was was like the manager half of that tag team. Not the manager, uh, but you know, it. it's it's like 
they've had matches where it's like intergender versus guy and manager or whatever. Yeah, you like know, that kind Bobby of the Brain Heenan. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Percy Pringle and Sunny Steve Austin. I know it's so crazy. Name a better duo. Um, <laughs> anyway, we got to get out of here. I got to mm-hmm. turn the studio over to somebody else. But that was yep. a cool episode. This is a cool episode of the Mask Man Show. It's cool of you guys to listen to it. And uh, we'll be back here next week with more Money in the Bank hype. And presumably more talk about dissatisfied wrestlers trying to get out of their WWE contracts. Mm-hmm. What do we not talk about this week? Oh, we didn't talk about TNA, which is actually really there. I, I was actually really uh, the the Brian Cage versus Johnny Impact match for the for the Impact World Title was actually really good. But Brian Cage like busted his like literally busted his butt doing a stupid Spanish fly move onto the hard onto the cement floor. Jim, anyone who hasn't seen that, go <laughs> check it out. It. He just does. Does a, like a somersault bump onto his butt on concrete and immediately hurts and like he can't <laughs> work for the rest of the match. But oh, congratulations to Brian Cage, who's sort of awesome, who won the Impact title and was immediately confronted by the controversial Michael Elgin, his his former tag team partner. And that'll be a slobber knocker when and if that match ever comes to fruition. But yeah, we'll be back here next week. Enjoy wrestling in general. Enjoy your uh, two minute teaser trailers of future potential wrestling matches on Twitter. That's the way we watch wrestling now. And listen, he doesn't need my apologies, but he's back. So apologies to uh, to John Moxley. We'll see you back here next week, Humanoids. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. Here's the good news. The number of collisions involving a train at a railway crossing is down 83% from its peak in the 1970s. But here's the bad news. There are still more than 2,000 incidents a year. Stop. Trains can't.